Hello, this is Pastor Rob Barber of Bethel Church in Tempers Plains, Ohio, where our mission is connecting people to God. I'm very excited to share the Word of God with you today because I believe God's Word is a powerful weapon designed by the Father to set the captives free. I trust the Holy Spirit will anoint this message and it will personally minister to you and set you free. God bless and enjoy this message. Praise God. We're going to talk about this morning. The advent of our Savior. And of course, advent means arrival. So we're talking about the first arrival. We know there's going to be a second advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back to this earth. How many know that? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. I hope you know that, and I hope you're anticipating that return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming back. But what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks is the, the first advent of our Savior. And I'm going to um, start with um, the, um, the, the first story to, today that we're going to be reading. We're going to be reading out of Luke. And I'm going to be talking about the announcement of the birth of John. And I've asked Eddie to kind of t- tag team with me. And he's going, the next message, Eddie's going to talk about uh, the birth of the announcement of the birth of Jesus, and now I'm going to follow up with the birth, uh, the actual birth of John, and then, of course, uh, we are going to be gone for Christmas. We're going to Texas, visit our daughter, Beth and Marshall, Owen and uh, Brady are all going with us. Uh, We're going to go down to Texas for uh, the Christmas celebration. So, uh, Eddie is going to bring the message on Christmas Day. Uh, concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. And what we want to do is we want to uh, share the Word of God in such a way that hopefully it comes to life to you and you have an understanding of some of the things that was taking place during that period of time and how important it is that we separate fact from fiction. Because there's a lot of legend that surrounds the, this time of year. And we need to separate that from the reality of what the Word of God teaches us. Last night, Emberly and Jojo spent the night with us. Uh, my two little granddaughters, uh, one is four and the other's three. And uh, they're looking forward to being, uh, no, five. Emberly's five, I'm sorry. Emberly's five and JoJo's three, and they're both looking forward to, they keep telling us they're, they're going to be six, and, and JoJo keeps saying, I'm, she, first she goes like that, and then she goes, no, I'm four. I'm going to be four. She's really proud that she's going to be four. She said, I'm really growing up. <laughs> but we were, normally when they come, I wouldn't say every time, but I try to, when they spend the night with us, I try to read a Bible story with, uh, to them. And we've been, uh, and I always do a review with them, and we go back, and we've been reading about Moses and the, the Exodus and all that, telling that story. And uh, last night, uh, I asked, the first thing I asked was, I said, uh, what have we been studying? And Emberly got a uh, a glow on her face, and see, she said, Jesus and uh, a red-nosed reindeer. 
<laughs> Don't know where she got that. That's not what we've been studying. But for some reason, she's been going around singing that. Has she been watching the, that? She's been singing that Rudolph song. I asked her if she watched it, and she said no. I said, do you want to? No. <laughs> Anyhow, the reason I share that with you is that I think sometimes we get some fantasy mixed up with reality of what really took place. So we're going to be talking about these things, and the first portion of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, 1 through 4, and uh, what I'm going to share with you, the, my, my first point is, you can be certain of what you've been taught. So we're going to start with Luke chapter 1. Verse 1, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about the other gospels. It seemed good to me also, having perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. Most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which we were instructed. This is ex extremely important because Paul, or, uh, Luke is laying the foundation here and he's saying, listen, I do, I've done the research. I've talked to the eyewitnesses and I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you what, what has happened. Now, here's something that's very important with the, the gospel narratives, is that we recognize that there are some things uh, that, that line up with each one of the gospels. The most important part, points are all on, in all of the gospels. But there are things that, are, uh, that have been uh, pointed out by Luke that are not pointed out by the other Gospels and vice versa. And some people would say, well, that just proves that the Bible is not reliable. No, the reality is that proves that the Bible is re reliable. Because any detective would tell you or any uh, one who's trained in, in uh, uh, police um, investigation would tell you that if you have a group of people that give you the exact same story, they've collaborated on that story rather than giving you their honest opinion of what they saw and what was going on. That's not the case here. These are individual men who saw things from their own perspective and they shared this. But the important things are all there and they line up. So this is, this is extremely important. We know a few things about Luke from the, this scripture, that he was an associate of Paul and Mark. We can find that in Philemon and Timothy. He was a physician. Uh, Colossians 4.14, Paul actually said, uh, Luke the beloved physician. And I believe that that's what qualifies Luke to write this gospel narrative because of the training that he had. He, he had the, the training to investigate thoroughly uh, an individual's situation as a physician so that he could bring about the right diagnosis for that individual. 
So he was trained to investigate things. According to his own words, he approached the revealing of this first advent of the Messiah in that kind uh, of perspective. He investigated the story by interviewing the eyewitnesses, and he got all the facts. He, uh, scholars believed that he was a, a very close to Mary, and he got a lot of the, his information from Mary. So, when we look at this, we can trust this gospel. We can trust Paul. We can trust or Luke, and we can trust all that he, he says here. In fact, I believe that applies to the whole Bible. We can trust the Word of God. We all know the Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's all inspired by the living God. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit took the pen and made these men write. No, it, meant, it means that the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write down the things that they saw, they heard, and they understood. You know, there's 66 books, there's over 40 authors, but they all line up, they're all pointing toward the Messiah, the one who's going to come. And the one that's going to come back. Hallelujah. I may not seem excited about that, but inside I'm jumping for joy. <laughs> I want you to know that. Here's something that we need to understand. Let me give you some, some historical background. Because it's really, under, it's really important that we can trust the Word of God, this Bible that we have. We have to know that God had His hand in it all along. The Old Testament that we have was handed uh, down by scribes who meticulously uh, wrote word for word, dot, and every dot was had to be correct. It was eventually handed down to a group uh, of individuals by the name of Mesoret, and uh, it, it eventually boiled down from one particular family to become the scribes. And they, as I said, they were always very meticulous about everything that they copied. They copied uh, the, the, the Old Testament over and over and over so that there was plenty of copies to be handed down from generation to generation. The method of, of manually copying was just so incredibly meticulous that these men would sit for hours and hours every day copying the Word of God and doing it properly. Now, the only problem with this is that the, the most recent copies that we have had of this Masoretic text was from the 10th century. And that, there's not a problem with that because that meant that they, they kept copying and copying and passing in the morning. They were being used. But we also have the Septuagint, which is uh, the Greek translation, uh, which comes from like the 3rd century B.C. Now, the dating of these uh, documents are not... They're not in question. Uh, everybody understands that. And we pretty much, we have been able to say, well, they're very, very reliable. 
However, skeptics have always tried to discredit the Word of God. And one of the things they always try to do to discredit the Word of God is to say, well, there was mistakes in the, the copying. They changed it over the years. However, a happening took place in 1947 that proved this to be wrong. There was a discovery at the site of Qumran that confirmed the Mesoretic manuscripts. These texts are known, of course, as the Dead Sea Scrolls. They, are, uh, they date back as early as 300 B.C. The scrolls are primarily written in Hebrew and are extremely, some Aramaic, and are extremely significant because they uh, contain copies of almost every Hebrew, Old Testament Hebrew uh, book. They're over 1,100 years before the Masoretic text. And yet, they're 95% identical in most of the books of the Masoretic text. It proves to us that this is the Word of God that we have, the Old Testament. The overall, the Dead Sea Scrolls demonstrate that the text of the Old Testament has been accurately copied and preserved for thousands and thousands of years. Our God has had a hand in that. I want you to understand. That, would just, that wasn't just man. This is supernatural that we have this book. That we still have this book after tyrants and, and despots and dictators have tried for centuries to rat, eradicate it from the face of the earth. It's a miracle that we have it. It's supernatural, and we can trust it. And I want you to understand, I don't care what they're saying. I don't care what the liberal scholars say. They're liars. Most of them are either ignorant to the reality, or they're out and out lying, trying to deceive people. That makes me angry, as you can tell. I want nothing more than the truth. Jesus is the truth. When it comes to the New Testament, the original manuscripts are from the Greek-speaking churches, and they were known as the Texas Receptus, or the Received Text. If we compare the text, there is 98% accuracy between the ancient manuscripts and the current New Testament text that we have. Now, here's what I want you to understand about the Textus Receptus. The scholars who chose, who uh, uh, translated New, the King James and uh, uh, Bible, they did not necessarily take the oldest manuscripts that were found. They they used the manuscripts that they found that were most circulated among the churches and the early fathers. So they had this uh, idea that if that's the ones that were being used, those were the ones that the early fathers believed were the most important text that we needed to have for our Bible, for our New Testament. According to the website Stand to Reason, of the remaining difference, virtually all yield a vigorous textual criticism. This means that our New Testament is 99.5% textually accurate from the, the text, original text. In the entire text, there's 20,000 lines. Only 40 lines are in doubt. About 400 words. And none of them, not a one of them, 
affects doctrine in any way. The highly regarded New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington said this. He said the bottom line is this. By every standard, this is commonly, that is commonly used by ancient documents, old, old documents of any kind. The evidence of the reliability of the New Testament is overwhelming. It literally crushes the evidence for all other ancient documents. And yet, they still try to question them. There's so much proof. It's reality. George Bernard, Bernard Shaw was a literary legend of the 20th century. And he, uh, he was also a major critic of the values of Christianity and those things being promoted in society. However, he did say this about the translation of the King James Version of the Bible. He said, the translation was extraordinarily well done because to the translators, what they were translating was not merely a curious collection of ancient books written by different authors in different stages of culture, but the Word of God divinely revealed through His chosen expressly inspired scribes. In this conviction, they carried out their work with boundless reverence and care and achieved a beautiful artistic result. A critic of, of the, the things of the Bible, but he recognized exactly what took place when it came to translating the Word of God that we have. The King James and the New King James are pretty much uh, from the same manuscripts. However, the New King James does use some of the new, more modern um, uh, discoveries like the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So here's the fact. Here's what I want to leave you with. You can trust the story. You can trust the Bible. You can trust the Word of God. This is, without a doubt, the Word of God. Now, I said the King James and the New King James. I trust those two very much. Do, I do not forbid reading. In fact, I use, sometimes I use the, the living, New Living Translation uh, and other translations. There's a lot of different translations of the Bible. I, I use them as a reference. But I would say this, be careful because some of them are not necessarily translations. Some of them are, uh, have just uh, been interpreted. They're an interpretation. Uh, some of them are translations, but they've been taken from other manuscripts. So we just have to be really careful you can learn a lot. You can understand the Word of God by reading some of these other translations. I'm not opposed to that. But if you really want to get into studying the Word of God, use the, the King James or the New King James and ref, use some reference, uh, the Strong's Concordance and many, uh, um, many of the um, commentaries and the different things that you can use to learn and grow in the Word of God. You see that studying the Bible is more than just reading the Bible. If you really want to become a student of the Bible, you have to study. You need just word studies and word searches and uh, there, there's so much to it. Now, I know not everybody has the time to do that. Uh, that's why I'm your pastor, right? That's right. That's why we have pastors. We, we have pastors that are supposed to do that and share these things with you. 
Uh, that's my responsibility. But I also know that there are some in this congregation that, that are students of the Bible, and they do that same thing. They study it. Uh, they really get into to trying to pull out all the meat that they can find in the Word of God. And I, I commend you for that. I encourage you to do that. Many of you may not have time to do that kind of Bible study, but I would say this above all else. Make sure you make this Bible, this Word, this book a part of your daily life. Read it. And understand what God is saying to you. Because you don't have to get into in-depth Bible study. If you will read the Word, God will reveal incredible things to you. Amen. Hallelujah. The second thing I want to talk to you this morning about is that they were righteous. Look at Luke 1, 5-7. There was in the days of Herod... The king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. It tells us in the days of Herod. Now, Herod uh, reigned in 37 to 4 B.C., according to... To historical documents. Herod was at Adamah, mean, he, which means that he was from the house of Esau. And uh, he really was not well liked by the Jews. The, the Jews and, and the house of Esau did not uh, love each other. They had no love for each other. You know the story of Esau and Jacob. And uh, there was always a animosity between them. And it continues to this very day. There is problems between them. So during that period of time, he was not very well liked. Herod was known as Herod the Great, not because he was a great person, but because he was a prolific builder. He built many uh, incredible edif edifices and uh, cities and ports. And one of those things was he added to the temple that was uh, started by Zerubbabel and his band. He added to that temple and made it a, a glorious and incredible uh, um, spectacle. Uh, one person said something about it, uh, the temple that when you came over the mountaintop, it, the sunshine was shining on it and it glistened uh, like an incredible uh, star. It was uh, so beautiful. And it, it was quite large, too. He, he expanded it to the point that it was an incredible piece of work. One of the most uh, important things for us to understand that the Bible tells us that Herod was a tyrant. He was such a tyrant that history records this about him, that he was so paranoid that somebody was going to take his kingdom from him that he ended up executing his wife and many of his sons. There was a saying during this uh, period of time that it is safer to be a pig than Herod's son. That's the kind of person he was. So it just gives you a little understanding of the environment that was happening during this, uh, this period of time, the, this um, time in history. It was not, you know, it's a lot like our day. There's a lot of tyrants out there. There's a lot of craziness going on. Uh, 
But yet, in the midst of all that, God is still in control. God still has a plan. God is still moving and speaking to His people. God is doing an incredible work in this earth today. God is doing that work through His people. You. Anyone listening to this, anyone who is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, God is doing a work through us in this earth. That's what He was doing then. He was doing a work through these people. A work that nobody really understood at that time. But it was about to happen in an incredible way. Zacharias was a priest from the division of Abijah is what it tells us. What that's telling us is that around the 6th century, according to 1 Chronicles 24, David divided the priests into 24 divisions based on the number of priests, priestly leaders in the family at that time. In later Jewish practice, the number of 24 courses was based on a lunar calendar uh, of 48 weeks with each priestly uh, division serving a week at a time. So, Every year they serve twice, twice a year. And according to the text, Zacharias' division of priests were serving in the temple at this time. This is an incredible, important part of historical fact. And I say fact because it's here in the Word of God. It's historical fact. He was there. He was serving. It was not an accident. He was righteous before God and he walked in the commandments in the ordinance of the Lord blameless. The Word of God tells us that Elizabeth was barren and the Jewish people uh, believed that if you were barren then you were under some kind of a curse. But yet, the Bible makes it really clear to us that Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God. They were righteous people. And what made them righteous? They walked in the commandments of the Lord. That's what made them righteous. They followed all the commandments that God had laid forth for them. Now we know as believers in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Do we believe that? Yes. Righteous not, righteousness is not of us. It's by the blood of Christ. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When we believe in Jesus Christ and we truly make Him our Lord and Savior, it's righteousness to us. So the fulfillment of the law is to believe in Christ. So practicing, and if we uh, truly believe that we are righteous in Christ, then guess what? There's going to be an outworking in our life of that righteousness. We'll begin to practice righteousness. The proof of being righteous is practicing righteousness. In other words, you're not going to continue. Once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, your life changes completely. Now, that doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be cleaned up. There's a, a process that we call sanctification. I believe in immediate sanctification, where as you make changes that, you know, everybody sees, everybody knows. 
when I first became a believer in Jesus Christ, um, everybody that knew me knew my lifestyle prior to that. And they knew what, you know, how I lived my life. And I was playing basketball one time with a group of guys, and it was after I, I received Christ, and uh, they asked me about doing something, uh, playing on Sunday, I think it was, and I said, no, I'm, I'm going to be going to church. And it, it just got silent in the building. And the guy that was heading it up, he, he looked at me and he said, you've turned over a new leaf, haven't you? Well, I said, it's more than that. It's not just a new leaf. It's a new life in Jesus Christ. But people notice. They see things in you because there's a certain sanctification process that begins immediately. But I also believe in the sanctification that is an ongoing process where God continues to work on us and make changes inside of us and moves us in new directions and reveals to us something that, hey, we've been doing this thing for a long time and God said, now it's time for you to get rid of this. It's a revelation that comes to us. That, that's how that sanctification process works. We don't get it all, all at once. I wish we could. You know, I wish I'd just, boom, I'm as holy as I'll ever be. Hallelujah. Look at that holy man up there. It doesn't work that way. We'll never be holy enough. We'll never be righteous enough. But we're working on it, right? Amen. John, 1 John 3, 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. But as he, just as he is righteous. Talking about Jesus Christ. We must, actually, we must come to grips with this reality. We can't live our life any way we want. The Apostle Paul you know, wrote many times about the changes that needed to take place in an individual's life. The Word of God tells us that some of you were, you were thieves, you were adulterers, you were, you were homosexuals, you were uh, liars, you were cheats. You used to be. This is what you used to be, it says. But now you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And your life is different. You've changed. You're a new creature in Christ. 1 John 3.10 goes on to tell us, In this, little children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So we practice righteousness. Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous because they practice righteous living. The same thing should be happening in our life. We should be practicing the same lifestyle. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How hard is that? It's simple. And he made it very easy. He said, if you, here's what you got to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbors, yourself. He said, this fulfills all the law and the prophets. It's really very simple, but yet it's hard, isn't it? It's a simple process. But it's something that we have to allow Holy Spirit to do inside of us. 
to make these changes in us. When we're crying out to, to the Lord, to, you know, I, I think about David. He said, search my heart, Lord, that I might not sin against you. That should be our prayer. Search my heart, God. I don't want to sin against you. Search me inside and out. Know me. Because I sometimes don't even know myself. But God knows me. And He'll search me out. And He'll show me. And He'll allow me to walk in His ways. Third point. Your prayer is heard. How many believe your prayers are heard? Hallelujah. Your prayer really is heard, but sometimes does it, doesn't it seem like that the heavens are brass? Doesn't it seem like that you just cry out, God, where are you? Why are you not answering this prayer? But I guarantee you, He always hears the prayers of His people. There is absolutely no doubt about it. He hears and He responds. He may be a little slower to respond than we like many times. It doesn't happen as quickly as I'd like for it to when I cry out to my God. But I can, I can look back and I can guarantee every time that I have cried out to Him to show me the way, to give me direction, to help me in any situation, He has always shown up. And made the way for me. What an awesome God He is. Let's read this real quick. 1 through 17. Or 8 through 17. So it was that while He was serving as priest before God. In the order of His division. According to the custom of the priesthood. His lot fell to burn incense when He went into the temple of the Lord. And a whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Hallelujah. That's an awesome statement there. Making ready a people for the Lord to come. For the way of the Lord. I believe we're making ready a people today for the coming, the second coming, second advent of Jesus. A people, a church without spot or blemish. That's what Jesus said he was looking for when he comes back. A church that understands what the Word of God really teaches. A church that understands this righteousness, this holiness, this uh, uh, power and this forgiveness and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That understands, no, we're not perfect, but we have a responsibility to live in a righteous way. We'll never be perfect. But we have an awesome God. 
A righteous man like Zacharias, he would have relished the opportunity to perform the burning of incense. That was the most important part of this ceremony, was the burning of the incense. And the incense, if you, you don't, uh, you've never been uh, enlightened on this, that incense in the, the Old Testament is a picture of prayer. It's, you can find this in Psalms and Revelation. It's the, the incense is a picture of the sweet-smelling Savior of our prayers going up to the nostrils of God. Going into the presence of God. That's why I can say for sure that when we pray, God hears us. This was probably the only time in Zechariah's life that that lot fell to him. He rolled the dice in our vernacular and his number came up of all the hundreds in his clan his number came up that time at that particular moment he got to burn the incense he must have been so excited because this was such an honor to go into the temple and burn the incense the most important part of the ceremony. He had probably done the other things, prepared the sacrifices and done all the other things that had ha- been done in the past. But this time, Zacharias got to burn the incense. He got to do this very important part of the ceremony. And it made a difference in his life. This, I want you to hear this, this was a God-ordained moment. God set this up. God had this plan. He had a plan from the foundation of the world. Zacharias was going to be there and his number was going to come up. And he was going to be able to speak to him in that sacred place in the temple as he burned the incense. I want you to know, your God is much bigger, much wiser, much more powerful than anything you can imagine. He has ordained your life. He has ordered your steps. He has laid your path out before you. In Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctify you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I believe we can grab this scripture and know that God is speaking to us as well. Not that we're all prophets, but that he knew us before we were formed in the womb. He knew. He knew Pastor Otis. He knew what kind of gifts and talents and abilities he was going to place inside of him. He knew what kind of heart he was going to have. He knew Darren long before he was formed in the womb. He saw Darren sitting right here this morning, many centuries ago. He even knew Darren was going to have a beard. (laughs) He knew everything. He knows every nook and cranny about you. That's why it's important. Don't try to hide anything from the Lord. You can't do it. Pour your heart out to Him. Let Him know how you feel. He's not offended when you wonder and you question what's going on in your life. He won't be offended by that. 
He is offended if you act like he's not relevant in your life. But if you cry out to him honestly and openly, he hears those prayers. I want you to know, as I look back on my life, and I hope that every one of you, if you've been a believer for, for many years, you can look back on your life and you can see even the difficult things that you went through, the things that didn't seem like they should have happened in your life, you can see God's hand in it. You can see Him guiding and directing you. He didn't cause the pain. He didn't cause the difficulties. He didn't cause that person to uh, turn their back on you. He didn't cause the wound to come. But in spite of that, He was there with you as you walked through all that pain and anguish and difficulty. And He's brought you to this very moment. He's brought us all here today. This is an ordained moment for you, you to hear that God is on your side today. And He has a continued plan for your life. God has shown me some things for the future that really shakes me. But it really helps me to understand that my life my life has been directed by the living God ever since, you know, I can remember. I can look back and see those things that took place. I can see how God directed and redirected my steps. Even when I was in total rebellion against Him, His heart and His hand was reaching out to me. Your God is big. He's awesome. He's mighty. We've already established what righteous living is and what we should be doing. In Proverbs 2, 7, it says this, He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Walking uprightly is just another way of saying living right. And what does that look like? It's very simple. According to Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If we do this, Proverbs gives us this promise. One of my favorite. 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. That's, that's the beginning. Trust the Lord. Don't try to understand it yourself. Get His understanding. And in all your ways, do what? Acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. Our awesome and mighty God. This morning, He wants you to know. He has. He continues. And He will direct your path. Stand with me. Hello, this is Pastor Rob again. I pray you enjoyed this podcast. What a blessing it has been to have you join us on this social media platform. If you would like more information about Bethel, please check out our website at BethelChurch.community. You can also follow us on our Facebook page at Bethel Church, Tepper's Plains. Have a blessed day and remember, love never fails.